you certainly have customers and companies like us that are trying to make make a dent here. And there are a lot of great entrepreneurs actually focused on this end user security concept right now. I do think we need to one sort of ally with each other, right? And come up with those standards, come up with things that will protect all end users. Again, I don't know if the force of us doing that just alone is going to be yeah. enough to make it happen, right? I do think there needs to be some sort of, uh, you know, industry-wide standards, industry-wide. And, and by the way, that could what that could look like, for example. All right, my friends, if you're just tuning in, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. What is up? I am your host, Charlie Schramm, and you are watching and listening to another epic episode of The Charlie Schramm Show, powered by Untold Stories. We're twice a week together for the past four years or so. Really, I've been writing and podcasting in, in Bitcoin and crypto for, I think, like 12 years now. Together, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's and Bitcoin's most influential leaders, true OGs, those who are building out the products of tomorrow, passionate people, having fun along the way. We talk about all the motivational things that get them going. We talk about all the fun stories, the rabbit holes that we find. But we do stay in the theme and we do learn a lot of things along the way. It's great because I feel really good about myself going back and looking at the older episodes, the ones that we did in 2018, 2019, and learning about some of these companies that we all know today that are huge, like massive, massive blockchain and projects. When we interviewed them, when they were just small little one or two people, you know, in someone's basement and, and things like that are still being launched today. But at the same time, people are building out really, really cool projects and services. And so thank you guys. You know, since December, we've not had any advertisements. Thank you for those who have been leaving reviews. Thank you for those who have been hitting the subscribe button. When you do that, it changes everything and it makes us have such a great show. And I'm excited to be joined by our guest today, Ricky Ricardo Pellegrini. Thank you so much for coming on, on the Charlie Shrimp Show. Charlie, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. You are co-founder and CEO of Web3 Builders and the makers of the super popular Trust Check xyz this is the coolest thing ever and i'm excited for you to talk about why you launched trust check but before we get into that previously you were the head of product at aws data exchange vp of product of rapid sos i would love to talk about how you used a lot of those things to get yourself going in, in crypto and like any stories or any hacks or passionate situations that happened that motivates you till today how was your week going you know, it, it, it's going pretty well. I mean, we've actually, so it's been very busy. We last week launched a suite of five new APIs that check things like transactions, wallets, smart contracts, websites, and domains. It was a pretty big release for the team. So now we're just, you know, continuing to augment and improve those. For me as a product person, it's always a lot of fun to, you know, get into the weeds there. I mean, and with APIs in particular, Developer portals like often are really the product, right? So we're super proud of, of what the team has done there in terms of making these things easy to use. It's great to see, uh, and again, I'm really proud of the team. I can't take any credit for this. It's really, it's really all them just building products towards that like core vision of making Web3 safe for all. So, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later on the on the show. Trust Check. It's a free zero-click browser extension that scans your Ethereum-based Web3 transactions. So right before you do any type of transaction, whether it's like an NFT or data or moving money around or any type of Uniswap or really anything, it's really profound. Can you explain it? I will try my best because there's a lot under the hood that goes on there. But at its core, right, this is a free extension that's meant to really watch your back when you're interacting with Web3 tech. So it does a few different things. And I, I kind of think of them in, in three different ways. So the first thing it does is when you're about to transact with something, it intercepts that transaction message 
and actually on a forked version of the blockchain runs a simulation that basically tells you what's about to happen before it actually occurs. So that includes any balance changes, which assets are going where, and very critically, because this is how a lot of folks get scammed, any approvals changes that are actually going to happen. And we can talk about those in a little bit more detail. So that's sort of part one of it. Part two is it actually looks at, basically it says, okay, here's a transaction message. Here's the website you're interacting with, the smart contract you're interacting with, all of the wallets that you're interacting with, and analyzes those for scam behavior, right? So it's really going to take that information, put it into our data engine, right? And, and this is where, you know, some of the prior experience with the team, we're, we're very, you know, we're, we're total data nerds on this team. And that's mm -hmm. really, you know, where our expertise is. And it looks at all of those and then returns basically an aggregate recommendation to the user on if they should, you know, hold on there, wait a minute, something seems off, or if all of the checks check out. And what's interesting here is that, you know, the aggregate recommendation, I mean, is, is just one part of the equation, right? The key thing is to detail actually all of the analyses that have been done um, for the end user so that they get confident, hey, you know what, someone is really actually watching me on my behalf and watching all of these things. And whether you're a beginner or an expert, right, these are things that humans can't analyze. So again, th this tech is really just, you know, a way to protect yourself when you're interacting with Web3. So that's the extension. Oh my, what are the type of things that you're checking under the hood? Yeah. So, I mean, first thing to kind of like where we see the most scams and oftentimes, right, those are actually those approvals changes that we talked about in the transaction simulation. So you look at a lot of the recent scams and what will happen is some, you'll be on a website, right? And they will request a transaction with you. And they will request for you to do something that, for example, an ETH sign method, or, you know, you'll have something that come up that fundamentally most regular folks would not understand, right? Unless you are a crypto developer. And what that will do if you hit sign is it will actually transfer a permission. And in some instances, it's, you know, a set of proof for all permissions yeah. is what it's called, where basically it allows the wallet you're interacting with to effectively manage all of the assets on your smart contract on your behalf. And of course, guess what they'll do immediately is transfer all of them out. Or, uh, and it's interesting, there, there's various types of drainers. And a lot of time we spend doing, a lot of the things we spend our time on is finding new types of wallet trainers that use different methodologies like set approved for all to actually end up taking control of your wallet and transferring all the wall all the assets out. So that's one detailed example of what we'll do. Another one is, you know, oftentimes you'll interact with a smart contract, for example, right, that will allow it to take money in, but actually not transmit money back out. So basically these are, you know, sometimes these are referred to as honeypots, but again, these types of scam patterns are very common. And really, if you're interacting outside of these sort of closed ecosystems, you know, happen extraordinarily frequently. I mean, we've talked to over 250 scam victims at this point. So those are some of the things that we're watching out for on our users' behalf. Remember that software back in the early 2000s called Adaware? I don't actually, Adaware. It's like, it, it reminds me of that. It, there was this, it's, it's probably still around, Back in, in the early 2000s, especially with like Windows XP and, and such, we were like in the same type of era where everyone was launching applications and we were all getting personal computers at home and we were engaging with computers and the internet. It was just filled with like scams, frauds, and hacks. Yeah. A lot of the times, the websites you'd go to on a real-time basis or it's things that you download to your computer. But one of the cool things that you said is that you show everyone what type of simulations you're running and what you're looking for. And that goes towards education. Absolutely. That not just, you're not just doing the job for someone, you're teaching them what job that you're doing. Yeah. And, and I think you hit the nail on the head with education. So part of the thesis of this company, right, um, and why we think this is a compelling opportunity is that we've seen a lot of 
energy and effort to date put on what we like to call network security or protocol security, right? So that's like preventing just a straight hack of an L1, for example, right? Like or a bridge, et cetera. That's one layer. And there's a lot of companies that do that audit, you know, smart contract audit firms, et cetera. So a ton has been put there. But what we notice is that actually where most scams are happening, right? And these aren't going to necessarily be, you know, $100 million scams, but it's going to be somebody losing $1,000, somebody losing $50. These are happening all the time. And, and those types of scams we call end user security. So that's the category we're really focused on, which is a combination of running these analyses, but also it's a combination of UI and making sure users actually understand what they're doing. Because that's at, at its core, you know, education is so critical here, right? That That's... Because if you don't understand what you're doing, you have a much higher probability of getting scammed. So if your products can educate folks, if you know, and folks can interact more, and folks take that knowledge and say, "Wait a minute, I'm in a situation that I shouldn't be in," that's really where end-user security takes off. And it's like it is key for long-term crypto adoption. I mean, that that is our core belief. You had the year was like 2018 or 19. We were in the bear markets, and DeFi spring was coming. Uniswap was invented and people moved away from like IDEX and IDAX, which were like the prevalent, you know, the only time anyone looked at really decentralization from a smart contract point of view, other than finance was like building out decentralized exchanges. And then Uniswap with the AMM and having the ability to give people back a percentage of the trading fees that was earned in some of these liquidity pools that launched DeFi Spring. And all of a sudden people were looking at yields. I want to make money, trading fees, liquidity pools. People launched protocols and smart contracts to do the work for them called yield farming. You see amazing yield farming projects like I just saw it in Miami, this company, uh, Beefy Finance, launching really cool. You know, they, they do yield farming. We had the inevitable launch of, of staking as, if, as Ethereum was gearing up to like a three-year buildup at that point leading into the eventual merge, which which ended up happening this last year, where Ethereum moved to proof of stake. And what that did, it pushed for thousands, tens of thousands of, of projects implementing some sort of staking or yield-bearing opportunity into their project. And what that did was, is it created that DeFi spring. And you remember, it was amazing, but it was also like hard because you had to go and find the yield yourself. And then what happened is CeFi, right? Celsius's Voyager, FTX's, all those companies, and then all the legacy crypto companies like Binance and Coinbase followed suit and they launched staking and yield bearing products too. But CeFi took over DeFi because it seemed like it was hell. It was just a lot easier. You don't have to, all the things that you're doing, the CeFi companies were doing, centralized finance was doing for us. But then what happened six months ago? It exploded. We imploded. Our whole industry almost fell apart. You and I were scared to tell our friends that hell we were even working in crypto. Yep. And now we're back to DeFi. Now we're back to the real decentralized finance where everything can and will be decentralized. And what you're doing with TrustCheck is going to move not just with financial transactions and NFTs, but eventually when we're doing things like voting and having our mortgages and our car titles on chain. This is where trust check, I feel like, will really shine bright. I think you you really hit the nail on the head there. Underlying all of these assumptions of a decentralized financial system is the ability to self-custody your assets, right? It's the ability to exactly. actually hold your own assets. Yes. Right. And so, you know, it, it is, and so right now, 
that's a very scary proposition for most folks, even for experts, right? Let alone like, you know, my mother for trying to interact with crypto for the first time. Like that is a scary proposition because you have all of these pitfalls that are very easy to make, like just clicking one wrong button and it's like, hey, all the stuff, yes. you know, all the stuff in your wallet's gone, right? Can you imagine calling up Fidelity and saying, hey, I want to buy some Apple stock. And then a couple minutes later, they call you back and say, hey, so we tried to buy Apple stock. Actually, what we bought wasn't the real Apple stock. And by the way, all of the balance of the account, which you tried to buy that Apple stock with is now gone, right? That's something that, you know, that that is, um, you know, and by the way, for, for TradFi, you know, and CFI, like those are risks that they can take on on behalf of users. But the only way that tr a truly decentralized financial system will occur is if you have these sort of, I mean, not just standard, but really technologies in place that are going to protect end users. And so, you know, when, when you, I mean, it's interesting, you brought up sort of, um, you know, antivirus, web two kind of, like, yeah. you know, in the historical days. And what you see now is all of those capabilities to protect folks, right? Whether it's in your, you know, MacBook that you buy operating system or in your browser extension, those are all integrated, right? People are no longer really just buying their own antivirus software. And I think in web three, that's what you're going to see as well, right? So you have a bunch of extensions out there now that try and help you know, guard you, you know, guard wallets, et cetera. But I think those like the key thing is our industry long term needs to have that technology be integrated into all of these platforms to keep end users safe. And it's really, you know, it, it's straightforward. It's something that we know we can do. Um, and I, I think again, that that is just such a huge unlock for the next hundred million billion users adopting crypto. I feel like you know something that you're not telling me. I feel like you know that the browser extension is not the end game here absolutely and for you having this integrated into every other smart contract why don't you make this into a module that can be something automated for every transaction on a on a blockchain yeah so, so that's exactly i mean that's exactly what our apis attempt to do right um and we also have other things under the like you know software development kits but basically what our apis enable you to do is take all those same capabilities and let's say you're an nft marketplace or you're a wallet right? Run those exact same analyses, you know, in, I mean, you know, hundreds of milliseconds and, and really provide those exact same protections to their end users without having that, without them having to think about, Hey, I need to download a separate extension. I need to do something in addition to my wallet because ultimately, you know, that usability and that user interface, you don't want to have to go to three different products, right? You want to just be able to do it in one product, make sure that you're safe. And also again, though, while retaining that sort of self-custody and the ability to really have that decentralized experience that isn't, you know, isn't controlled by someone that could potentially be a bad actor, for example. So um, that's where that's where we get really excited. I think long term we're going to see many, you know, many of these platforms, many of the most popular platforms, and many new projects, you know, viewing these types of scans and these types of transaction protection as table stakes for end users, and end users should demand that. How do you? So if it's a free product, what will, will do you think you'll implement some sort of DAO tokenized technology, or how will you? make money support it yeah so, so for clarity the extension is a free product that will always be free on the b2b api side that's obviously where that's yeah. the monetization strategy right it is like we think that you know these big crypto firms um and folks that are processing a lot of transaction yeah that is where we are planning to monetize see if that works right i mean we're very you know we're an early stage company this is a need that so many end users have oh my god yeah look at scams it's like you know it, it, i think really as an industry like it should be something that we expect for, you know, and, and provide on behalf of our end users. And we're hoping to make that easier. I mean, especially right now, like, you know, obviously a lot of firms, um, a lot of company, a lot of crypto organizations have had to reduce headcount. 
don't have many resources, don't can't hire a team of engineers to build these types of things. So our hope is that, you know, providing this in a very low cost manner in a way that's easy to integrate will really, you know, again, help them keep their end users safer. So that's the name of the game. I'm really excited that this podcast, The Charlie Shrem Show, is now powered by Waxman. I think I met the CEO, David Waxman, back in 2015 or something at an Ethereum meetup, and he told me that the future belongs to the fearless. And that is why they are producing the show right by my side. What an amazing team we have now. It's so amazing. You guys have been hearing some great updates and following along. If you don't know, Waxman is the leading global strategy and communications firm advising the next generation of companies in Web3, disruptive technology, Bitcoin, crypto, fintech, artificial intelligence, and venture capital. Waxman's clients are ambitious leaders and businesses that are on the frontier of this whole new economy because they really do believe that the future belongs to us and we're the ones building it. With services across everything from digital marketing, public relations, social media, investor relations, financial communications, recruiting, and public affairs, they're helping companies and individuals like myself seize the business opportunities that we deserve, overcome challenges that we all are gonna face and achieve sustained success. Head over to Waxman to learn more. You guys are gonna love them. We have them in the show notes. Check it all out. It's W-A-C-H-S-M-A-N.com. That's W-A-C-H-S-M-A-N.com. This morning, speaking about keeping end users safe this morning, what you're doing by keeping users safe is we're doing self-regulating. We're not just self-regulating like from a, a regulation standpoint. Most people think that regulations are for money laundering and things like that. Well, really, regulations, most of the time, at least I thought, are supposed to be around consumer protections, protecting us. That's why they have securities laws, for example. Securities laws are designed to protect the average consumer like you and I from frauds and scams and things like that. They create regulatory frameworks around like doing investments and, and, and if you will. Unfortunately, I guess in our industry, it's just been regulation by enforcement shit since, since as long as I've been in it. There's never been like a forward-thinking, progressive like framework for our whole industry. We're just operating on gray areas or whatever. We don't even know what the hell we're doing. Just this morning, the SEC announced a uh, settlement with Kraken about their staking product. So there was a lot of things that you can talk about there. Kraken had a staking product, the SEC said you have to shut it down, find them like $30 million or whatever it was. But that's not what's unique about here. What's unique about this is that the GOP whip, the Republican chairman of the, I think it's like the Congress, the, uh, why am I freaking blanking? House of Representatives came out and was like very against this and touted like things like we need to be focusing regulations on consumer protections. So putting the politics aside, because I don't want to talk about politics. However, it is interesting to note that there is like a radical difference between some power structures within the government about like how to future regulate crypto. Do you think that there could be any meaningful regulations around DeFi or will it be up to companies like yourself to build out the products and services that protect the consumer at the end of the day? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really interesting coordination problem. So my optimistic take is as follows. One, I do think there is a place, you know, for the government to focus on specifically consumer protections uh, for the, you know, for these types of products. And what they, you know, what I would hope they would focus on first is really low hanging fruit. 
right? Like there's a lot that is wrong with, you know, just with end user protection and security that I think nobody would disagree about, right? Yeah. Nobody would agree, you know, nobody would say, oh, I don't think folks should, or sorry, nobody would say, I think folks should be scammed, right? Like that is, a, yeah, I agree. that is a straightforward thing. And there are different ways, there are many ways that I think, you know, the government can help step in there. Also with respect to transparency, right? You know, that is the, that is the core premise of decentralization, decentralized finance. Like there should be, you know, folks should have to be transparent. Those are, uh, I believe that. But so that's the government level. Then there's an industry level. Um, and I think this is actually where I'm most hopeful because a core tenant and, and like a core feature, not a bug of blockchain, right? Is that once a transaction occurs, you can't take, you can't just take it back, right? There's no centralized person that can say, there's no fidelity that can say, oh, you know what? We messed up your trade. We will compensate you for that or we will make it right. So what that means is you need industry coordination in order to figure out, hey, when we have these really bad downside scenarios or, or scenarios of really what I would call sort of like catastrophic black swan type of risk, right? How can we as an industry come together and protect our customers? That's like, and I think that that type of industry coordination is something that, you know, I'm really hopeful we'll see because if we start doing that well, you know, I genuinely believe that over the long term, government wants to take the lead of industry, you know, of what industry leaders are doing and say are best for their customers. So I think over the long term, like there is a place for that. And then last but not least, of course, you certainly have customers and companies like us that are trying to make make a dent here. And there are a lot of great entrepreneurs actually focused on this end user security concept right now. I do think we need to one sort of ally with each other, right? And come up with those standards, come up with things that will protect all end users. Again, I don't know if the force of us doing that just alone is going to be yeah. enough to make it happen, right? I do think there needs to be some sort of uh you know, industry-wide standards, industry and and by the way, that could what that could look like, for example, is an insurance product. I mean, fundamentally, oh, insurance is a way to reverse, right, bad transactions or bad outcomes that happen. And if we all acknowledge as an industry, hey, there's this shared pool of risk and figure out a way to fund that insurance, like if we can do that on our behalf, like on our on our industry's behalf, I mean, that is a tremendous, tremendous thing, right? I mean, that's at the core of the whole banking system. Um, and it, yeah, anyways, so I don't know, a lot of thoughts there. <laughs> no, you're right. I've been doing research into like a few different, I, uh, part of my, I write this like long thesis type thing. And part of it is like dedicated a whole chapter to products, tokenized insurance, you know, smart contract insurance based projects. And there's a bunch of them out there. They're really cool right here, actually. Let me pull them up to give, give the listeners some alpha here. Da, 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 da. Coin cover is one of them. We looked at coin cover and there was another one that I'm forgetting right now. There was so cool. I have to pull this up a little bit later, but I have a crazy story for you, actually. Something that happened to me last week. I have all this data and letters and information and people that I've met and stuff like this from when I got back into Bitcoin a long time ago. I've been just documenting kind of the story forever. Part of the show is part of that documentation. Part of that documentation is just recollecting the memories I have of the stories that people told me and that I remember myself of the, the, the last days of Satoshi. The other day I had recalled a letter that I received, a handwritten letter in the mail back in, in 20, shit, 2013, I think it was. And my, my production crew, we were researching the, the letter and we were, we spent about like, we, like three days uh, investigating this from like a uh, double spaces and encryption. And could there be like some secret private key or something like that? And we had found some interesting paths to go down. And that led us down some paths that took us some places. One of those places had a honeypot that was very specific. That only if you were like looking here for what we were looking for, 
would you find this honeypot? And our producer, as he was uploading all of the video content to his Dropbox in real time, we were actually eating like cheeseburgers or something. The a hacker got in, took SIM swapped his phone, got into in real time. We were watching it, got into his iCloud, removed him, got into all of his crypto accounts, got into his Dropbox, took all the content, took everything. Still till today, he's out of his iCloud and his phone account. This happened just the other day. So forget the Satoshi, all the other aspects of it. Like, what is a honeypot? And like, what is happening here? It's interesting with scams, you know, whether it's rug pull, honeypot, et cetera, they ha they'll have different definitions, you know, as you, depending on who you ask. But okay. in aggregate, I mean, you know, honeypots tend to, and the way we tend to think of them is when you interact with a smart contract that you can put things into it, but you can't get things out, right? So there's like specific smart contract behaviors that, um, you know, or the only way that things can get transferred out is in the event that they go to a specific wallet, which tends to be the wallet of the hacker or the scammer. It sounds like, you know, I mean, and again, sim, sim swap is like a different level of sophistication. It's a whole different world. Yeah. You know, that, that is like when you're, you know, swapping out SIM cards and people's phones and doing, you know, doing crazy stuff to access their underlying accounts like that is. And by the way, that, that's like a legitimate, you know, issue for, for, for a lot of folks, especially folks that are um, very well known in the crypto industry have a lot of assets. But, you know, it, in general, I mean, honeypots are one type of, you know, are, are one type of way where folks will interact with something that they can't get out of or that they can't, you know, they think they can extract something later yeah. for, for yield and then they can't. Um, that's, how, that's generally how we think about them. There's a lot of them. Unfortunately, that's where people get caught nowadays that where they're, they're depositing something into a yield bearing product, thinking that they'll get their money out of it. But a lot of the times it's, I mean, you'd be so surprised about how many projects people ask me to look at for them, where half the time it's just a website promising something crazy and there's no smart contracts there. There's nothing there. Yep. There's no tech. Yep. It's just, there's so much. I, I said the other day on the show that an Uber driver was asking me about how to not get lost and how to not get hacked and scammed in, in crypto land. And one of the things I told him was like, any project that your friend or family tells you about, just be automatically like wary of. You know how many emails I got from listeners telling me that I shouldn't have said that to him? But in reality, and I hate to say it, but the projects that our friends are telling, if you're not in crypto, the projects that your friends are telling you about are probably not the ones you want to be investing your money into. I'm sorry, but it's how I feel. Yeah. This is a unique feature of kind of the crypto industry to date that I hope we can get past. Um, and, and it is the emphasis on FOMO and really sort of those short-term pumps, right? It was interesting. I was talking to, I forget, it was one, it was an NFT project creator. Um, and this was kind of like, this was a long time ago when I was first kind of getting into NFTs. And I said, well, how do you, how are you certain that, you know, an NFT project or really anything you're investing in the crypto space isn't a pump and dump scheme? Like, how do you know that? How do you detect that? Because, you know, in traditional finance, that's, that's a really bad thing, right? Like you go to, you know, yeah. all, all types of bad stuff happen with, with pump and dumps. Now, what this person said, which really shocked me was, Ricky, the pump and dump is a feature, not a bug, right? Because everybody thinks they can get in on the rise and get out before the thing tanks or crashes. So my sort of my first sort of like high level advice is anything that you're considering getting into based on FOMO. And by the way, we see it this week even with like AI based tokens, you know, totally pumping, right? Like, I mean, those are like anything that anything that you're going into <laughs> because of FOMO, right, that you haven't had a chance to look at, you need to be extraordinarily careful and you know really reconsider it um and i think most people that are like 
long-term crypto, right? That's not what they, that's not what they're here for. They're longer-term investors. Think they think a lot about value. They think about okay, how can this ecosystem really deliver economic value, and what are the underlying you know mechanics of these of these various coins and, and NFTs, etc. But FOMO is kind of the first thing that scammers use to get folks, you know, to get folks to do things that they're not really sure of, right? And that's where people get into very dangerous territory. Another example of that is NFT mints, like very common scam path is basically you go to a mint website, you think you're claiming an NFT, but instead what you've done is actually transfer the, your permission to that NFT site to manage all the NFTs on a smart contract. It'll loop through your wallet actually for every single type of asset you have and then attempt to successively drain them. When I think about how to stay secure and safe in crypto, like the first thing is, you know, FOMO is exactly what scammers prey upon. And the key thing is really FOMO and making sure that, you know, in these situations where someone is asking you to act quickly, you understand why you really understand what you're doing, because that's the vast majority of how folks get scammed. That's a very good point. You're 100% right. As I'm talking to you, you know, and I know your backgrounds, and it's interesting because um, I should have mentioned, should have talked about rapid SOS in the beginning. But in the back of my head, I'm thinking how like, we have no first responders in crypto. Bitcoin and crypto, like who... Are you the first responder? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a very interesting way to frame it. Um, you know, I think, I guess, what's the right way to put it? I, I think I want to launch a first responder like type of business I mean, would, for this. That would have been that would have been great. Um, no, I think. Look, there are you know. The, so the the sad thing with crypto right now, from a for, from that analogy, first responder perspective, is it's kind of like what we talked about a little bit earlier, where. Unfortunately, on blockchain, there are no takebacks, right? So like in traditional, in, in TradFi and C5, there are, there are ways that folks can sort of get things back for you. In crypto, the reality of the situation is that it's very rare for folks to recover their assets um, in, in anywhere close to whole and on any sort of reasonable time frame. Um, there are some interesting companies that have come out to help with that process from a legal perspective. Um, but still, like, if you think about like, if I lose, you know, let's say you lose a million dollars, Right, the probability of you getting that million dollars back after it's been scammed is like virtual, you know, virtually nil. I mean, it's very, it's very hard. So yeah, I think like the way I think about, um, like, you know, when we think about protecting folks, what that does is it places an, an onus on pre-transaction, right? Like that's where those folks need to be watching out for you. Um, and I guess you could say like, you know, yeah, sort of you have a first responder that's coming in when something seems off in a transaction, and they're coming there to come to the rescue and basically stop you from, you know, I don't know. Well, hey, I mean, if if you could have the, the police or the ambulance or the fire here in, in 10 seconds. No, exactly. They, you would, they if can. you can have a, a browser extension to have the fire here before the fire starts, you'd have that too, right? Yeah. That would, uh, that would be amazing. Uh, and just to give, uh, so so Rapid SOS is, in a, is a, an intelligence safety platform that you were the VP of product for before this and that, that links uh, data to like 911 and first responders uh, connects millions and millions of devices, apps, sensors to the agents, 911, essentially en enabling like first responders to enable them to get into the world that we had called Web 2 back then, the world of cell phones and not landlines, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Rapid SOS is a pretty amazing story, by the way. So the whole founding team, myself, I was VP of product there, our CTO is VP of engineering and our, you know, and our, uh, our other co-founder, Nick was the co-founder and CTO of Rapid SOS. So that's like, that's the core team. We all have that very much that like safety DNA in us where we like to basically, you know, protect. Folks. Oh my God. It's, it's a, you know, that plus data, et cetera, is why we actually were super excited to come at this problem, right? Because like, it, you know, we want to make Web3 safe for all. We, we spotted, you know, a, a really interesting thing. But to go back to Rapid SOS quickly, 
it was a, it's an amazing company. Um, basically, you know, what used to happen when you called 911 prior to rapid SOS is they would use technologies like cell tower triangulation to try and figure out where you were. So basically, if you didn't say an accurate location of where you were, like, let's say you were passed out or something that, you know, um, yep. they just couldn't find you, right. And this led to a lot of people that could have been saved, not getting saved. And it was crazy because this is in a world where we already had Google Maps on our phones and you could see your location on your cell phone to within like a couple meters, right? So the 911 tech was so antiquated. Um, and what Rapid SOS did was partnered with folks like Apple and Google to basically, when you call 911, transmit that very accurate and precise location to those 911 centers so they could actually find you whether or not you had told them an accurate address. And so that was like, you know, an amazing company. I mean, they're, you know, companies doing great, still in New York. Um, and um, you know, that that sort of, I think that concept of protecting folks is very much in our DNA and, and why we were just really excited about pursuing it. It changed everything. Yeah. I mean, it not just that, it's in popular culture, how many horror movies ended because she was able to, you know, or he was able to dial 911, put the phone in their pocket. Yep. Right? Like, th like that, it, it's so, it was so important for the, for humanity. And for us as a civilization to go about our normal lives and building and build things in, in, in potentially crime and dangerous areas, it prevented like walls from being built from like crime neighborhoods and non because it allowed people to continue growing, you know, working. And it really was a huge fundamental change. And now you're taking it from the opposite approach. You're not like saving the hypothetical person, but you're actually like, the go-between between the hacker and the person, you know, the user, you're like the direct gladiator in between. It's not like a hypothetical, we have software that'll get the police there faster. You are the police and you're there now. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I think the, the analogy you use of it being a battle, right. is really, uh, you know, gladiators are really kind of apt because the way that, um, the way that our products work is what's going to happen is you'll continue continue to see scammers upping the bar in terms of their sophistication and level of technique, right? And then so we have to you know, up it even further. And so it's that constant, you know, it, it's that constant race. And this is, you know, what, what's really interesting here is, you know, you're not going to prevent every single scam before it happens. Like there's no, you know, there, there's no sort of silver bullet here, so to speak, um, to say, all right, every scam, we've got it covered 100%. But the key thing is when you see something once, you have to be able to react quickly, ingest that data and update everything to make sure that nobody else can actually suffer the same consequences. So that person number two that comes to that scam, you know, is not uh, is not affected. So again, there's sort of proactive measures, right? And then there's reactive measures that are, you know, more emphasis on, on agility, et cetera. Both of those are equally important in kind of this battle, which really, it really is an arms race, right? With scammers, um, as they get more sophisticated, we'll continue to get more sophisticated, uh, as will the rest of the folks in the industry. But hackers continuously got sophisticated going back to the spyware days. We were in the same problem back then. Yep. The hackers were getting sophisticated faster than we could educate ourselves and, and websites can be built to prevent against that. Yep. But when we finally had the tool that at least was the go-between, then at least you can input that new data into the tool and people have the go-between tool already. It really, I'm really excited for this. Uh, I'm excited because I look at crypto and Bitcoin as like my personal baby, like my legacy. So when I see things that hurt it, uh, especially over the last year, 
And I didn't do it. I feel, I always feel like I didn't do enough to protect seeing tools like yours makes me comfortable and happy going forward. So thank you. And thanks for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you so much it. for having me. Yeah, really. Um, again, it's just awesome. Um, you know, more education in the world of crypto uh, is absolutely critical to the next wave of adoption. So yeah, thank you for everything you do on that. Charlie. You need an app. You need an app. You have an app, not just like an extension, like a, an iOS app, something that like goes between, like if I'm about to do like a Binance transaction into a smart contract app that's within a game, it could like go be the go-between in that? Yeah, I mean, so right now the extension is just browser-based, um, but that and that's for, for a variety of reasons. But yeah, absolutely something that uh, we're thinking about. So. Super, I love it. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. This is freaking phenomenal. I love it. Thank you. Awesome, thank you so much. I'm happy we got in touch. Yeah, likewise, absolutely. No, this is really great.